This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris, we're going to have a really, really fascinating trip down memory lane about stuff that still is being talked about. We're not talking, by the way, about the R word, which is Roswell, not Rendlesham. Although I think Rendlesham, we've talked to death too. But some other things, we'll get to it later. But right now, I wanted to bring our listeners up to date about a couple of things. And one, we had this woman on a few weeks back, Cynthia Hart Button. And one of the things she did on the show was to give me a brief psychic reading that she expanded upon over a couple of minutes after the show ended. And I talked to Chris and I said I wasn't too impressed with her. But you know what? She did say certain things would happen to me, which I won't be specific about now, beyond the show, of a positive nature. And I'm seeing a little bit of that. Of course, I might have been in a situation where it can't get no worse. But that was positive. I can half believe something might be going on. And the reason I believe any of it at all is because years ago, when I was making a critical decision about my future and my future profession, I had a tarot card reading from a Wiccan woman in Philadelphia. And that set me on a very nice path. And then we revealed on After the Paracast that Chris is also a card reader. So would you like to work something out with our listeners sometime soon? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Yeah, I'll think about it. It's been a while since I've done any readings. Uh, You have to get back in practice. Is that something like a bicycle riding or something that you got to do it a few times? It's more like operating a radio. (laughs) All right, well, it's a possibility. The other thing we did is, of course, we had Joshua Warren on the show. And some people like him. Some people think maybe he was pushing his stuff too much. And in connection with that, I got in touch with his partner who sells these Hieronymus boxes, wishing machines. And supposedly it helps focus your energy on the things you want. And so a few weeks ago, I set up one. It's here right now. It's plugged in everything. And I made a few wishes that you write down. And again, I don't want to jinx anything. I'll just say I saw some positive results. Have you ever tried one of those, Chris? Nope. I never have. Interested in trying it? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Sure, I'll give it a shot. Let me get a hold of Joshua and have him fix you up with one of these devices. Cool. I could always use a little... uh... (laughs) Good luck and magic and all that other kind of cool suspend your disbelief stuff. I think things like this really rely on the individual. You control your own destiny in different ways, and most of us don't really have that much control. But if you can get through or break through a little bit, there's nothing wrong with that. So we'll see what happens. And I am, as you know, kind of the worst skeptic about a lot of things. So when something happens that might be positive, I'm going to say so. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that 
even as much as we don't like to always take trips down memory lane on the Paracast, sometimes things happen that are interesting. And so, for example, when the Paracast forums were first opened up in 2006, there was a thread there about one of the classic UFO contactees, George Adamski. And it kind of went dormant, like 11 years. And suddenly, someone heard an individual on a radio show who has a site now extolling the virtues of George Adamski and his contacts after all these years. And we had a brief discussion about that. Another one of those contactees was a guy named Dan Fry. And he had an organization called Understanding. And supposedly he had real experience being an engineer and a scientist or something like that. And one of the really knowledgeable people in our forums was looking over the stuff that Dan Fry wrote back in the 50s. And he said, you know what? This stuff is really good. There's a lot of factual basis for it. Not saying that this guy, Dan Fry, really contacted E.T. or anything. But he was writing about stuff that appeared to be authentic. And I thought, okay, we have people still interested in George Adamski. A very, very informative discussion in our forums about Daniel Fry. I recommend it, forum.theparacast.com. And so I thought of somebody, and Chris has a friend who was there in the old days and knew these contactees and knows where the bodies are buried, and that's Ray Stanford. Yeah. That's true. Ray and his brother, uh, Rex, his uh, identical twin brother, uh, spent quite a bit of time uh, during their summers back in the uh, mid uh, to late 50s checking out all the abductees. Uh, George Hunt Williamson, Daniel Fry, Juman Bethram, George Van Tassel, Adamski. Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, there were quite a quite a few uh, contactees that uh, most people haven't even heard of because they they just didn't uh, have the notoriety of the big five, but uh, it's going to be fascinating. I, I just was <laughs> just fascinated uh, interviewing Ray for quite a number of times about um, about the contactees and writing all this down. This will be published in a, in a book, uh, a biography on Ray when he gives me permission. So we'll have to, to see when that'll be. We have a couple of sample chapters up at Paracast Plus, by the way. So if you join Paracast Plus, check it out. Just get the beginnings of it there. But anyway, I wrote to Ray, you were there. What can you tell us? And he said, you know, I can't write it all down. But, you know, you want to interview me, I'll tell you the stories. And you know, Ray, when you can say something in 20 words, he'll say it in 50. (coughs) So he'll give you every little detail of what these guys did the stunts they pulled. But I'm very interested in asking him about Dan Fry now. If Dan Fry had the smarts about science, doesn't mean his other stuff was real. But it's something I guess we should look into and maybe we could look again at these people long gone who made some pretty wacky claims and most of us who were so-called serious, in quotes, researchers, dismissed them. Or if we were going to be charitable, we'd say, you know what? Some of these people may have had experiences early on. And Isaiah Damsky, as one of those people, didn't really know 
how to express those experiences. So when we had the flying saucer culture that came about after Kenneth Arnold's sighting in 1947 and the years that followed, they used the flying saucer meme to express these experiences in a way people would understand. It may not be what happened to them. They might not even know what happened to them. But maybe with the 15 minutes of fame, sometimes they take an experience and they extend it. Well, people want to know if they met E.T. again or whoever they were. So they will fabricate an experience. They'll tell the story. They'll tell it again and it gets more details. And that might be what happened here. You know, it may not be a literal trip around the moon or to a planet on the far side of the sun or something. It may be something weird. Something weird. Uh, How can I top that? Yeah, well, I don't know. But do you ever think also that some of these contactees really had a genuine experience of some sort that they exaggerated? I think it depends on the contactee. I think that 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 works with some of them, but not all. Who do you think might have had a real experience? Well, you know, based on my limited research really into the contactees. I mean, I've, I've read a few books. I think uh, Damsky early on ah. may have had some sightings. So in fact, I think, I think the first film that he took may have been real in some of the early, earliest photographs. Billy Meyer may have had uh, some, some sort of sighting experience um, back in the, uh, 50s or 60s, I think when he was in India, someone may correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, go into more of this with Gene and Chris and Ray Stanford. You're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. When a storm causes power loss for a whole day, it can seem endless. There's a new kind of storm brewing, one that could target our nation's power grid and turn off the power for not just days, but for months or longer. Veteran news anchor Ted Koppel's new book, Lights Out, details this exact scenario. And CENTCOM General Lloyd Austin says it's not a question of if, but when. That's why Americans are rushing to secure solar power generators to provide an endless supply of life-saving electricity without gas, fumes, or noise. And the Breakthrough Patriot Power Generator 1500 has it all. Portable and lightweight, providing up to 1500 continuous watts of clean, quiet, and free renewable solar power. 
If a blackout strikes, you'll have power for heat, lights, cell phones and computers and critical medical devices, all from the rechargeable solar power. Our first introduction sold out fast, and with high demand, we can't guarantee keeping the supply in stock. Stay protected with the power you need. The Patriot Power Generator 1500. Right now, enjoy our special easy pay option. Just go to blackout27.com. That's blackout27.com. blackout27.com. Did you know there's a new group of water contaminants with unknown health effects? These emerging contaminants lurking in your water may include prescription, over-the-counter drugs, and new types of herbicides and pesticides. ProPure's improved Pro1G2.0 filter meets NSF 401 standards to help reduce these emerging contaminants. To find out more, visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com. Have you ever thought you'd like to flip houses but didn't know how or where to get the money? Are you ready to be your own boss so you can start living the good life? Hi, I'm Preston Neely. I used to be so broke. I had my electricity turned off nine times, but I figured out a way to quit my job and find financial freedom in real estate. For a limited time, I want to send you a free copy of my smash hit selling book, How to Get Rich in Real Estate. It shows you how to copy exactly what I did so you can make money from the comfort of your own home without even doing any manual labor. I've already given away 5,000 books and they're going fast. To get one before they're gone, call one 800 958 6936. Listen, if you're sick and tired of stressing about money, this book could change your life. It's short, fun to read, easy to understand, and awesome. To find out how to get your free book while supplies last, call 1-800-958-6936. Call 1-800-958-6936. 1-800-958-6936. We use cell phones against our heads every day. But now, a landmark U.S. government study confirms increased health risks from exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The time to protect yourself is now. The solution is Defender Shield. Proudly made in the USA, Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation emitted from cell phones, tablets, and laptops. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. Use discount code DEFENDER for 10% off. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in EMF radiation protection. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special feature that we offer to Paracast listeners. It's called the Paracast Plus and we give you an After the Paracast podcast. Isn't that terrific? After the Paracast podcast. And we give you the commercial-free version of this show and a lot more, including a couple of chapters from that book that Chris was talking about in the previous segment. More to come on that score also. And to join Paracast Plus, you go to plus, P-L-U-S dot, theparacast.com, plus dot theparacast.com the topic is the classic ufo contactees those guys in the 50s who said they met et they were from venus saturn and all these other places and we've asked a guy who was there and met up with these people ray stanford to join us ray welcome back oh hello gene it's good to be here hey ray welcome back hi hi chris Now, as I was mentioning in our previous segment, Ray, before you joined us, P. 
people are still interested in George Adamski. And there was somebody going on radio shows, and it was offered to us at the Paracast. And he claims uh, he knows that Adamski was telling the truth, and his evidence was real. What's the That's story? How did you come to meet George Adamski? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you. I was, of course, when George Adamski came out with his claims, his um, his book became available locally where I was living in Corpus Christi, Texas, on um, about October 13th, 14th, or 15th, 1953. And, of course, I was in uh, an early year in high school, and uh, uh, I was very interested in UFOs, got inspired into it by Donald Keel's writings. And so I heard about it. There was an article, I think, in the paper. And I went to the McInnes Bookstore and bought a copy and read it. And uh, as a naive teenager who didn't yet have his background in science, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And so um, I, in fact, uh, the very next day, well, on the 15th of October, I decided to paint a better version of the picture that was on the front of Flying Saucers Have Landed, which was co-authored by Damsky and Desmond Leslie. And I painted a nice picture of uh, what was on the front with, with more color to it and uh, really became a believer and so I communicated with Adamski, and um, I don't remember how I got in touch, but back in those days, there was no email. It was all just hard copy letters, and um, uh, had some nice communication with him and uh, got copies of all of his, uh, in 8x10 eight by, eight by copies from the original negatives of most of his, his major photographs that he claimed to have taken of, of Kraft. And, um, but uh, it wasn't until later that I... I uh, completely wised up to him. I mean, I was so taken in that, 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 I mean, I interpreted experiences I had with UFOs, multi-witness experiences, but we never saw anything like Adamski was describing, but I interpreted them in those terms, and uh, um, and thus I, I sort of cast myself in the role of a contactee. I thought of myself, well, I thought some of these were psi-mediated or somehow telepathically mediated later on, in my research with instruments, we found out that what I was really sensing was the extreme low-frequency magnetic field affecting um, a kind of euphoria, a false sense of well-being in you that had been misinterpreted as something telepathic or psychic from friendly space brother aliens. But anyway, the way I got to moving into it, I finally, when I graduated from high school in 1956, I went out to California and had my first meeting with Adamski and had a series of, of meetings with him and visits there over the next, uh, let's see, 56, 57, 58, may have been one in early 59. And that's where I learned what I learned about him and what he confessed to my brother and me. All right, you say he confessed. What did he confess? Well, shall I just go to that, or shall I kind of give you the conversation, the context of the conversation, what happened? Let's go into the context of the conversation to give everybody a perspective. Good. Uh, okay. A friend of mine, uh, Bob Matthews, and I and uh, my twin brother had driven in from Texas, from uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. And um, this is, of course, uh, on the slopes of Mount Palomar, California, Southern California. And uh, we arrived in there about uh, – we had been – Adamski knew me from the first correspondence in the late 50s and, and then from uh, several visits beginning in the summer of 1956. So, you know, it, I was not an unknown driving up in his driveway at, uh, at about 11.15 or so uh, at night, one night, when we drove in from Texas. And um, 
it was quite interesting. We 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 didn't know where we were going to stay, but uh, we we drove up there, and so uh, Lucy McGinnis, who was the one who was his his secretary. Uh, I uh, came to the door and came out of the car and said, well, now you boys are going to have to go down the valley somewhere and find a place to stay. And, uh, but, uh, uh prof, as they called him, Adamski came to the door and he said, oh no. He said, uh, come on, you guys come on in, you know, we, we can, you can set up, you sleep up there in, in Lucy's office up there, up, up the hill. And well, that's the end of what we did. But, uh, uh, that night something very interesting happened. Uh, we were there and I would, you know, was, drawing near midnight and we were sitting in uh the, the living room a little house there where he and, and Alice Wells and Lucy McInnes uh lived and um on the slopes of Palmore and um uh Adamski was telling us he said, Oh you boys he spoke in a strong Polish accent, Oh boys, you should have been up here the other day. We were right up the side of the mountain here above the mountain. There was a huge mothership. Oh there she was so big, Mr. and Mrs. Black from San Diego, they were here. They saw it too. It was biggest the side of the house. Hell, that's the closest I've ever been to one of them things. Oh, 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 oh. well, I mean, except he went, I've been inside. <laughs> and my jaw probably kind of dropped because inside the spaceships had already been published. And he had just said that was the closest he's ever been to one of them things. Well, except it went him inside. But anyway, we uh, took the invitation and uh, set up bedrolls um, up in Lucy's uh, office uh, up the hill and uh, I spent the night. And uh, the next morning, Rex and I went down to, uh, we were invited down to the, um, to the, Damsky was having breakfast. And uh, he was sitting there um, having, as he called it, Echnock, after Echnock, prepared by uh, Alice Wells. Now, I'm not prepared to say what was in the Echnock, uh, but uh, I had a feeling that it was, uh, it was, it was fairly well spiked. He didn't let <laughs> he didn't- you taste it. Uh, no, no, he he offered us to have some, but we didn't uh, we didn't take it. No eknock, uh, no eknock, and so. Uh, but he was just real friendly and, and and nice that morning. And he said, "Oh, you boys, you know." Well, the first thing he says is, "You know, you boys, you're too young to know what a son of a bitch that man Roosevelt was. Hell, the prohibition was a good thing for me. I I um, I heard the, the I forget if it was sacred or a royal or anyway some order of Tibet." Going and he says he says and I I could make uh, I could make wine for a religious ceremony, and hell you know um, I was the biggest bootlegger in Southern California. Oh well, oh, I mean except in, uh, no I'm, I'm sorry I'm getting wrong story. <laughs> he says uh, I was the biggest bootlegger in Southern California, and uh, I said you mean you you were you were making more than you needed in your ceremony? <laughs> oh it is. He said we're doing really well. You know what if it hadn't been for that man Roosevelt I wouldn't have to get into all this saucy crap. That's his exact words in oh, that tone of voice. boy. Okay, we're going to have more of this, including the priceless imitation of George Adamski from Ray Stanford. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
It's called the Deep State. Barack Obama's most loyal aides still hold office, and they want to stop President Trump. Deep State was first revealed in the runaway New York Times bestseller, Big Agenda. David Horowitz's Big Agenda exposes Obama's government in exile and his shocking plan. Newsmax, Lou Dobbs, and Coulter all say you must read Big Agenda at bookstores everywhere. Or check out our free offer. Call 800-NEWSMAX, 800-NEWSMAX, or go to BigAgenda411.com. That's BigAgenda411.com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow Allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-615-7709. That's 800-615-7709. 800-615-7709. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. 
documentation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, The Gold Standard of Paranormal Radio. Okay, Remembrances of a Former Bootlegger, George Adamski, with Ray Stanford. Ray, please continue. Okay, and by the way, I should mention that someone, uh, possibly Rich Hyden, uh, or someone anyway, did an investigation and said, well, Adamski... Thing they never never had a license to produce wine for religious ceremonies. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Adamski was a liar, and maybe they're producing a figure. If they ever got caught, they just say it was for ceremonies. I don't know, but anyway, he said they was he was the biggest bootlegger in Southern California or something like that. Uh, that didn't impress me, but uh, I felt he was at least being honest. So then he got onto the subject of uh, physical space visitors. He he said, boys, you know. Uh, I never had to have any physical contact with the Space Brothers to know all about it. If you want to see the proof, go back up to the office there, to a bookshelf on the, the, the north side of uh, of Lucy's office there, and so you'll find a book called Pioneers of Space. You read that, you'll see the same thing is in the is is in uh, inside the spaceships. He says, you see, I never had to have any contact with them physical. It was it was all spiritual. It's, it's a unified state of consciousness, and he said that's how I know all these things. He's basically telling us, well, you know, guys, I really didn't meet these guys I claimed to met. You know, it's, it's, it was a, a psychic thing, I guess is what he was claiming. And uh, we thought it was odd that he was saying all of that. I mean, it just seemed odd because it seemed like that it was a kind of a confession that, you know, really, he'd written uh, that, uh, that book, Pioneers of Space, years before. I have a copy of it here somewhere. It was kind of puzzling that he was making these statements. Well, shortly, he seemed to loosen up more with increasing Ichnox. And, uh, and so he says, oh, you boys, uh, well, let, me, let me backtrack a little bit here. In other visits, he had, uh, well, the first thing we noticed the first time I ever came up there in, in, in Lucy's office, there was a big, beautiful painting uh, over to where she would set her desk to be to her right on the wall there, which I presume was probably the east wall. Some parts of it reminded me of something out of the uh, the Sistine Chapel. Uh, uh, I mean, there's uh, there's a pool of water, and there's a, a beautiful person leaning over there with their arms sticking out, kind of like you see as God's hand or whatever in the Sistine Chapel. But it was beautifully done. And I said, who did that painting? It's very nice. It was very, very competent. I mean, very, not only artistic, it was technically superb. And uh, and uh, uh, Lucy McLean said, well, that, that prof did that years ago. And so uh, anyway, at some point, we got to talking with him about his artistic ability. I think he brought up the subject. And in one of the visits, he uh, told us, he said, you know, I'm not only good with the brush, but I'm good with the airbrush. And so he pulled out some uh, paintings of nude uh, women that, that he had done with the airbrush or with the help of an airbrush. And, uh, and they, too, were, were excellent. I mean, he had a really realistic touch, even with with the airbrush. So uh, he kept stressing how good an artist he was, and uh, 
but anyway, that morning that he had told us about the bootlegging operation, he said, well, you know, boys, he went into the thing about that he didn't have to meet any space visitors physically. And then he said, uh, I want to show you boys my laboratory. And so he took us down uh, on the the highway. This, this little house was elevated. The level we've been sitting on in the kitchen, for example, around the kitchen table, was uh, uh, would be elevated. The, the uh, Let's say probably the south end of it is elevated above the ground. So when you went around that side of the house, there was a small space under the house that had a wall built there and a door, no windows, and... Uh, he called it his workshop, and lo and behold, uh, he took us down there, unlocked the door, and um, several things uh, grabbed me immediately. Well, first place to the left of the door on the floor was a, a good-sized canister that had very thick walls, I'd say, I, mean, I don't know, they're half inch or an inch thick, but it had a big sticker on the, the lid and the side that said danger radioactivity, it had the radioactive sign on it, and uh, in the in the midst of the room, he had a bunch of little discs hanging from uh, very thin, I guess it was uh, probably uh, like the, the leader used in, in catching fish, you attached your hook on to, uh, it made little nylon filaments, I guess you'd say. And uh, he had these little discs, the, the, the connection went right to the middle, and the, they're hanging horizontally. And he says, let me show you something. He closed the door, and the discs are glowing. And I recognized the pattern. It was the glowing pattern of disc that uh, I had seen in his mothership photographs with the dark object. And lo and behold, I looked behind where this was. It was below it. It was a table-like thing. And falling down behind it was a big uh, painting with a dark black mothership-like thing uh, that was uh, that was there that apparently had originally been behind these discs where when you see them, you would think that was the mothership and these were the little saucers that were around it. Well, before I could even begin to collect my thoughts and my astonishment, uh, Adamski took a screwdriver and pried open this lid, and the darn stuff is glowing. And uh, I said, Close, close that up. Close that up. It says radioactive. Where did you get this? <laughs> and he said, Well, some scientists down from the, the Naval Laboratory down in, I think he said San Diego, uh, they got it for me. He didn't tell me what he told him or why he wanted it. Now, when I uh, I told this to a guy that's done a, uh, there's an online Adamski exposing book in, in Europe that uh, written by a guy. And when I told him this, he insists, well, that this was just phosphorus. Well, I don't think it was just phosphorus because, uh, I, you know, I, I admit I haven't seen phosphorus containers, but I don't think they have that big radiation symbol on them and, and say danger radioactivity. I'll have to do the checking onto that, but... Uh, whether it was phosphorus, whatever it said, it was radioactive, and it glowed like crazy. Uh, I thought phosphorus, you had to expose it to light for a while, and it absorbs light, and then it re-emits it over a period of time. But the moment he opened this up, he had the door closed, he pried that open, and this thing is, is glowing like crazy. But basically, he was, uh, you know, he was showing us how he faked these, which then explained what I had seen one time when I was out at Van Tassel's Giant Rock in the little place where you could buy food there called the Come On In that his wife ran. Uh, on the walls, he had some of Damsky's so-called mothership pictures. And uh, uh, one of them showed the black mothership all twisted up as if it had, it had shrunk and warped. And uh, what I believe is that Adamski took a series of pictures with his, his the big camera he used to, to fake these things and that he uh, 
that it, he forgot that one of them, the, the thing had warped. It was uh, the thing I saw there clearly had been painted on the side that was going to face the camera, but not painted on the other side. What this does, it allows the backside to absorb moisture, and so it curves forward. And uh, uh, unless you have it tacked up, you know, very flat and flush, uh, straight and plain, that that would explain the picture. That uh, I don't know why Van Tassel chose to have that particular one on his wall because it was the most obviously. A uh, problematic picture of Adamski's mothership photos, not nearly as nice looking as the ones in the book, or which he had sent me eight by ten glossy copies of from his original negatives uh, a couple of years before. But anyway, that's what we saw. And um, so here he had told us in, within uh, an hour's time that basically that apparently he never met any space visitors physically, but that he psyched this all out and wrote the book and, and took us down. And he'd been showing me what a good artist went to go down and showed me you know, how he... He faked these scout ship uh, photographs with, with the mothership. And uh, that's, that's part of the expose of Adamski. What's interesting to me here is why did he volunteer to you and your brother how he faked this Excellent. stuff? Yeah, right. Well, you know what? This is the question that, that has dwelt on my mind all these years since. And the only rationale I can get is this. Let me backtrack a little bit. Adamski, yes, he was a con man. Yes, he was a liar. Yes, he made these stories. I believe, though, at some level, he really believed that he had psyched this out and was telling the world something he thought was real, but tried to convince him with this and decided it wouldn't hurt if it made a little money on the side. But uh, back in my very earliest communications with him when I was in high school, uh, he kept telling me something quite interesting. It suggested to me maybe that he was a little psychic because I believe I'm a bit psychic. My grandmother certainly was, and uh, I believe there are psychic phenomena. And uh, when I was there at times, it's, it's almost as if he would acquire out of my mind a question I was about to ask but was hesitant to ask, and he would come up with the answer or make some comment on what I was thinking. More of Ray Stanford's remembrances of George Adamski and more. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Cancer categorizes over 100 diseases. Though we do not diagnose, treat, or cure cancer, GCN team is offering the Clemson University study where there was up to a 95% reduction in cancerous cells when exposed to a plant-derived mineral supplement. 
If you or a loved one are searching for answers to this horrifying disease, come to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. We'll email you a copy for free. That's 877-878-4203. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. Bean Self-Reliance is about being prepared and to do what you need to have your own source of renewable energy. Portable Solar LLC offers the most powerful EMP-hardened solar system on the market that is transportable from place to place, and the best part, it's very affordable. Contact them at PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875. Soul Arc EMP-hardened solar generator, energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today or go to PortableSolarLLC.com to check out their patent-pending technology. Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change? See them at 5starsoap.com or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Cal Ben Soap Company can save you thousands of dollars and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoap.com. Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Lifetime Gray's 100% grass-fed beef has the health benefits you seek. When compared to conventional beef, it offers good fats while virtually eliminating the bad. That's the result of cattle who never eat grain, ever. Rich in antioxidants, including vitamin E, C, beta-carotene, and CLA. No artificial hormones, antibiotics, or other drugs. For all our fresh, non-cooked products with only 100% grass-fed beef, go to MidasResources.com. Use voucher code GCN to get 30% off your order. MidasResources.com or find us on Facebook. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So if George Adamski was reading you psychically, Ray Stanford, did he sense your skepticism or what? Well, I don't know that. But let's go back to high school, the letter. In this letter, he said, Ray, keep this on the physical level. That made me think that he had some at least unconscious knowledge that I might tend to get involved with the psychic side of this. That he was saying, no, keep this on the physical level. Basically, that was his mistake. It was all what he thought was psychic. And he's saying, I guess he's saying, don't get in the mess you know, I put myself into. But he's telling me this showed me that there was a side of Adamski that was not all bad, that he cared for this young man and his brother and others he might be in contact with. And perhaps at some level, after he got to know me, especially from 19... 19- 
uh, well, when I started corresponding with, I guess, in, in 54 or 55, I'm not sure. I'd have to check the letters. But uh, uh, finally, to that final day when he exposed himself, I really think that he decided that it, this is only rational, like, rationalization I can come up with. It might not be right, but I think it is. I hope it is. And he decided, look, here are these two twins. They're intelligent men with young men with, with good prospects for a future. Why don't I level with them? Nobody's going to believe them if they say otherwise that I even told them that and let them straighten their lives out. Now, that, that, that's a compassionate <laughs> interpretation of Adamski, which most people consider to be a worthless man. But I think he had a more human, sensitive, caring side to him. And let me say, too, that I don't believe what I read in, in the writings of a certain so-called futurist from the U.K., that Adamski was a federalist feeding off young men. If he was, I never saw evidence of it. He never tried to touch me or my twin brother, and a lot of other people did out there in California, but he sure didn't. He never showed any of that to anybody that when we were around there, sometimes there were other young people he was in contact with. I never saw anything that would suggest that to me. But, but you can't uh, say that about all the contactees. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I can't. Indeed, I could, I could get on to Rick Williamson, for example. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's move past that one. As far as Adamski, then, he shows you how he fakes his photos. Maybe he had some encounters early on. He wrote a book that even Ray Palmer had said he had seen that to him demonstrated that Adamski was either reporting an earlier experience or just making it up. Yes. Well, let me uh, let me then go into what Rick Williamson told me related to that first uh, so-called contact on the desert on uh, November uh, 20th. Before you do that, uh, that's George Hunt Williamson, sure. folks. They called him Rick. Go ahead. Right. Anyway, um, and I, I had a lot of exposure to Rick, uh, a lot more than I prefer to have. But anyway, uh, here, here's what Rick said. He became more and more dubious of what happened out there on the desert as time passed. Now, here's what he said. Before that date of November 20th, uh, he was up at Adamski's, and Adamski, who was, Adamski, I should mention, for those that don't know, he was a so-called voice channel. He'd been channeling for years down at their, the headquarters, the organization they used to have the Order of, whatever, Order of Tibet down in on the coast of California there. And uh, I talked to a lady who had been present on numerous of his, his voice channels. But on this particular day, it was just a private thing up at the Damskys. And uh, I believe that the Baileys were there who co-authored the book, uh, Saucer Speak with Rick Williamson. And uh, certainly Alice and Lucy were there and Adamski. That They may have been the only ones that were there, as far as, as I remember Rick saying. But on that day, something rather surprising came through. Whoever was speaking, I think Rick said it was supposed to be Adamski's Tibetan master. I do know that uh, Adamski was wearing a crudely made silver ring that had a very crudely made face with a weird headgear on it. I asked him one day what it was, and he said, that's my Tibetan master. I didn't ask him to explain that. But uh, anyway, I believe that Rick said it was supposed to be Tibetan a master, but he said that um, the Space Brothers were going to make contact with Prof uh, on the desert on the 20th, that Rick was to uh, to uh, acquire some plaster Paris, because his face face was going to leave footprints. And um, there's never any explanation in the in the flying saucer that landed of why they had plaster Paris along, but that's the reason. It says, well, it does say in there that, uh, well, he had advised uh, Doctor, the great anthropologist Rick Williamson, to to uh, 
bring plastic parts along in case there's anything they need to get uh, a cast of. But actually, the truth of the matter is, it was voice down that, that, that this visitor was going to actually leave footprints, and Rick was to make cast them, bring water, you know, to mix the plastic parts with, and so on, and which is what uh, he did. But uh, Rick said that as far as what happened out there in the desert that day, as far as he's concerned, none of them saw the occupant. It says in the book, and it has a drawing that supposedly uh, Alice Wells made uh, of this, uh, or, suppose Orton, as he called him later, a visitor. Well, Rick said you could not see an occupant at all, that none of them ever saw that. It wasn't true. He said they saw one or two flashes. But he said that could well have been explained by uh, the, the sunlight glinting off of a, a shiny model. And he said one could suspicion that because by the time when, they, when they, they met and went out there to the desert, there was one large corrugated box. And as he said, Prof said, nobody touched this box. Nobody touched this box. And so he said, that's mine. I'll, I'll touch it. So when they got out there, and Adamski said, well, he had the impression you know, to go and over behind this hill. Uh, why behind the hill? We'll, we'll hear that later, another kind of mine later. But uh, uh, he, he took this box with him. He, he took his telescope along and his tripod for it, but he, he carries his big box. Well, what's in there? Uh, it's far too big to just to have the camera and, and the photo plates. It was, it, was, it was good size. And Rick said he now pretty well suspicions that, uh, that it is uh, – that it's uh, – well, well, that that he had the the the, um, <laughs> the model in there. He said he can't prove it, but that when Damsky came back, he had that box, and nobody was still, you know, it, it was put in the back of the. I think it was either a forty-one Ford or Mercury car they were in. It was put in the in the, the trunk, I think, and uh, he never saw it again. Okay, that uh, that is suspicious sounding, and so I asked Rick about the book. Said in Flying Saucers Have Landed. Uh, it says that they saw what they thought was a mothership passed over with an orange spot on the side of it. He said, yes, they saw something kind of brilliant, uh, getting the sun. He said, however, that he would have to, con- that yes, in the, in the, in the mode in which he was in at that time, that yes, they interpreted it might be a mothership. But on the other hand, he said it could well have been a military aircraft, fairly large size military aircraft, just the side of the body glinting in the sunlight and, he said it, it, he didn't consider it unusual back in the 50s for some uh, bright orange uh, uh, paint to have been put on, on the side for various reasons. They, they couldn't make out any insignia or anything like that, but it, it was some kind of an orange something. It could have, could have been a wing tank or something. Uh, he didn't know, but that's what he told me. He said he had grown very dubious of uh, what happened there on the desert. In fact, he told me that, I think it was the last time that I saw him, which was probably uh, in 1959 on the California coast where we met down there in the LA area. Well, right now this of course kind of puts the lie to people who claim that Adamski was a real deal. Why do we still have people though that, that, Ad- that make Adamski that claim? Because all a lot of the yeah. stuff a lot of the yeah, stuff indeed, here- it does. And uh, um the um the thing is let me mention one other aspect of this that some people may not know. Um when that happened on the desert, Adamski then gave Rick the photo plates. And he said, take them down to the, I think it was the Phoenix Gazette, and uh, they can process them and uh, publish them, you know, give them the story that contact's been made with extraterrestrials. And let me mention, too, that in that alleged contact, there was supposedly no English exchanged with this 
supposed Venusian. It was all supposedly symbolic language that he pointed out that this was the planet between Earth and the sun, uh, the next planet in toward the sun, and therefore reduced it with Venus. Strangely enough, when you read inside the spaceships, Orton is speaking perfect English and very good English. And uh, so it's strange that he had to communicate with him in sign language. He, he forgot what he had said uh, in the initial story, I get, guess. But anyway, they, uh, Rick took this, the uh, photo plates down to the Gazette, I guess it was, whatever paper, but uh, they processed them. And Rick called Prof. Damsky on the phone and said, Prof., these things are so bad. He said, they're so carny looking. He said, uh, I think they published one of them. I, I've never been able to gain an access copy of the, the issue of the paper. But uh, he said, uh, uh, he said, you know, these things is going to make everything look like th th these things are fake or something. They're bad, Prof. What y'all to do with them? And Prof said immediately on the phone, burn the damn things. Burn the damn things. <laughs> and uh, uh, I said, Rick said, well, this is the only evidence you have. He says, Rick, I'm going to get some better ones. Yeah, <laughs> indeed he did. we got so much more to come with Ray Stanford and Gene and Chris. We'll get, by the way, past the damp skin into Dan Fry next. More to come. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> For listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R O C K O I D S.com. I'm Maria Braus, Director of Media and Community Relations with Public Supermarkets. Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies in the United States? Or that survivors can face a lifetime of serious health problems? But you can help. Join me and Publix for the March for Babies Walk. We'll work together to raise funds for research and programs that help the March of Dimes fight premature birth and birth defects and improve the health of moms and babies. Start your team today at marchforbabies.org. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment... All things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. 
So I want to start wrapping this up, Ray Stanford, with George Adamski. So we have the photo that didn't come out right. And he tells George Hunt Williamson, Rick Williamson, you know, not to use it. He'll get something better. To summarize all this, I want to ask you here, because we can do two shows just on Adamski. It's obvious he faked this stuff. Maybe he had some experiences earlier on, whatever. Why do people today still insist he's the real deal? Well, you know, that's the same reason they they vote for certain politicians. I think it's more of a religion (laughs) or a conviction that doesn't have a lot of intellectual uh, strength behind it. Uh, After all, I mean, he's talking allegedly with uh, Martians and the Nugents and Jupiterians and Saturnians. (laughs) These are people, I would presume, that bend toward irrational beliefs. Uh, the same reason that people get into certain religious beliefs that, by our standards, seem irrational. It, it's a religion, I think, is part of it. It gives them something. They're probably frightened people. They realize their world is in a dangerous situation, could damage yourself, blow ourselves up with nuclear war. And so here are Space Brothers saying, oh, we're keeping an eye on things. We're trying to help you. No, we're going we're gonna to try to do something. It's a message of hope for them, despite the fact that Everything Adamski said uh, is is proven untrue by modern science. I mean, it's really funny. I mean, to talk about a of a Nugent, considering that we've actually had, uh, I think, two craft now have landed on the surface of Venus, and I know one of them at least sent back some awfully good images of the surface, and it's so hot and so incredible the craft didn't last very long. But uh, certainly, uh, Orton with his long Nordic hair and blue eyes it wouldn't have lasted very long either. There, a lot of those early contactee claims mentioned planets in our solar system if it's not it's not venus it's saturn or it's mars or something and they couldn't really go beyond that so they were limited they weren't giving us anything new what can we learn though in 2017 from george adamski if anything well we can learn that also people will come along like like well, like uh, Joe Baker was willing to to claim that he took the pictures that Adamski took, supposedly showing the, the scout ship right over the trees when he didn't take them. Or later here in the D.C. area, uh, as you know, that Timothy Good is pushing some ridiculous, absolutely, totally fraudulent movie uh, of a little model in front of the camera. And uh, he takes it and, and he says that, uh, well, there's a, there's a NASA scientist looked at it and said it's genuine. Well, I'm sorry, but n- the man was not speaking for NASA. He was not even speaking as a scientist if he looked at that and thought it was genuine because it, anybody that's ever done photography would know that uh, it's just a small object bobbling in front of the camera on a pendulum. But it shows that people can get into an irrational mode when there's something that has an emotional appeal to them. And it should tell us to try to be more objective. Uh, fortunately, I learned that that day at Adamski's place. I, I'm thankful that he, he told us what he told us. But uh, I don't know how long I would have been caught up in it uh, had he not done so. But in my experiences out there, as you mentioned, I mean, I had contact with quite a number of these people that are in, in the contactee field. And, of course, had a very extensive contact with Daniel W. Fry and uh, his claims and uh, we could we could talk about that, but mainly I, well, I hope that this just gives us cautious a uh, caution well about the danger of accepting without uh, due uh, critical analysis and uh, and as in science uh, one needs some peer review to get people that that are used to thinking analytically 
and ask them what they think about it. And I don't believe any truly rational person today could believe uh, literally Adamski's claim. They might want to say, well, these space brothers were fooling him. They weren't really from these planets. You know, that was just a thing, that just telling him that. But Adamski told me he never met him physically. He never needed to, he said. And he showed me how he faked the pictures. So the story was, in my opinion, hoax from beginning to end, except for perhaps Adamski's personal belief in his own psychic ability. And I think we all need to get more objective about our feelings about our own psychic ability, because I know as a person who has been somewhat psychic all my life, sometimes their impressions are valid and sometimes they're not. We have to be uh, exercise critical judgment. Let's move on to Daniel W. Fry. Now, you saw this thread from our forums where a person who happens to be a scientist was suggesting here that there are a lot of things in what Fry said that accurately reflect science and cutting-edge science. What do you think? Absolutely not. That That is not uh, correct. I don't mean to insult anybody, but that is simply not uh, not the case. Let's see here. I'm going to... Uh, let me let me find got this right here a uh, a thing okay Fry for example it's really funny I you know I I read his first book uh, the White Sands Incident uh, right after it came out and I read the, all his others and uh, and even when I read read the book when it first came out uh, even though I was at the time a Dyden will believe in Adamski when I read his writing I realized that this was Z grade sci-fi writing that he, he and I now that you know I even in the book there when you read carefully you'll you'll, you'll read about his background and he was totally self-trained he had no uh, academic training he was he was an engineer only by self-training he was really not an engineer and uh, uh, and he's picked up he's read a few things and written z-grade sci-fi well for example let me let me just uh, uh, here, here's a here's a quote of what Alan, the supposed spaceman, b- visible only as a voice, speaking to Dan in the supposed first contact, said. Let me break in first and say he claimed this happened on the night of uh, of the uh, the fourth of uh, July, 1950, and he says uh, he says that uh, let me let me he describes the scene. He, he says, uh, uh, okay, uh, the sun had been down for some time. And there was practically no daylight left, but the sky was bright with stars, and the moon, though not yet above the horizon, was producing considerable diffuse light in the sky. Well, that is not true. It would not have been true on the 4th, because of the fact the moon at that time was uh, uh, was uh, what's called a waning gibbous moon uh, at 76%. and uh, the, the, the orientation of the sun's light off the moon with it below the horizon could not have given any appreciable light into the sky at all. But to make things worse, truth of the matter is, he claimed it was on July 4th. July 4th, White Sands, now keep in mind, we're in the midst of the hottest part of the, 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 the most intense part of the Cold War. This is 1950 July. We're concerned of what the Soviet Union has and what they, they might get from us. White Sands is closed down for the 4th of July. No one except absolutely essential personnel were there. And they did not include Z-rate engineers 
like Dan Fry, who have to, to, to deal in relationship to uh, um, what he claimed rocket engines, but uh, I suspect it had more to do with uh, uh, other other things. He tried to make him sound impressive. But here's uh, Alana is talking to him, supposedly, and here's what he's saying. He says, you're seeing parts of the ship and its mechanism, which in your mind is, ca- is capable of grasping the large drum-like structure just above the central bulkhead is the differential accumulator. Now, He's throwing that out a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of simple uh, uh, electronics that he's learned, and he's throwing this out to buzz the, the dumb reader to make him think, "Wow, this is a scientific differential accumulator." Wow, he says it is essentially a storage battery, which is why then let's not say that differential accumulator. Dan Fry already knew that. Essential uh, a storage battery, which is capable of being charged from any number of natural differ- natural energy differentials, which may be available by the word charged. This is Alan talking. Um, uh, by the word charged, I merely mean that a potential difference is created between two poles of the accumulator. The material of the poles has available free electrons in quantities beyond anything which you could conceive. All right. Why is it? Look, if this is Dan Fry, the engineer... And Alan is so bright, he would know that Dan Fry knows what a charge means on something. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Obviously, it's trying to impress the reader that, oh, he's in contact with this guy that's revealing some science. Well, this is, it's, it's I would call it worse than Z-grade sci-fi. More to come with Ray Stanford talking about the science and quotes of Dan Fry with Gene <laughs> and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hey, diabetics. Yeah, you. Got a spare hour to waste going to the pharmacy to get your insulin or other meds and supplies every month? I didn't think so. Me either. I've got life going on, which is why I use PillPack. PillPack is an amazing online pharmacy. They package up all my diabetic meds and testing supplies into daily doses and send it to me every month automatically. All I do is pay my normal copay. PillPack does the rest. I'm serious. This is a free service. They don't even charge for shipping. PillPack handles all the medical insurance stuff and even get what my doctors for my other prescriptions so I don't have to, which is good because that's the stuff I forget. But Pill Pack remembers everything. They even package up my daily vitamins so I remember to take them too. If you're diabetic, your meds and supplies are life and death, which means you need Pill Pack. Call right now for this free service. You may even qualify for $25 in free vitamins. 800-560-7310. That's 800-560-7310. Again, 800-560-7310. 
Many medicines used to treat colds and flu contain acetaminophen, a pain reliever and fever reducer found in hundreds of over-the-counter and prescription medicines. But taking too much or more than one medication containing acetaminophen per day can damage your liver. So always read the label and don't take acetaminophen if you drink three or more alcoholic drinks every day. To learn more, visit fda.gov slash otcpaininfo. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Food and Drug Administration. Warning. If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-958-9659. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-958-9659. That's 1-800-958-9659. 1-800-958-9659. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists, get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and sling bows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. A little bit later, we have questions from our audience, Ray Stanford, and Chris will be looking those up. But right now, we're talking about the Z-grade science from... The person or individual or whoever that Dan Fry has contacted. So you're saying here he throws in all this stuff, science, pseudoscience, whatever, word salad. This is done to impress the reader. But what does Daniel Fry know about science? He knows very little, uh, really very little. And when you read what he's saying, I mean, for example, I could I could go on uh, uh, about the part where he claims about this thing is uh, since the direction and, and amplitude of flow can be controlled, and notice he's delivery term amplitude to impress people, controlled through either ring. You know, talking to layperson that throws most people even today if you say amplitude. And in several paths through a single ring, we can produce the field which in opposition or in conjunction with any magnetic field through which we wish to travel. This also gives us control of the attitude of the craft with respect to a given field. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, th- this is, it-, it sounds like to me a smart seventh grader writing what he thinks is hot sci-fi. That's about all it, it comes across as in the first place. Uh, anyone like me who has used recording magnetometer and recording gravimeter and other instruments to record these objects, both optically and electronically in those ways, knows that these things do not fly by creating, talking about wasting energy, creating a field so powerful that it's somehow propelled by interaction with the pipsqueak 
Earth's magnetic field is just ridiculous. This is not the way they use magnetism at all. We're not. That's not the subject today, so I won't get into it. But it is absolutely uh, ludicrous. And um, anyway, if there's any more technical question on those technical aspects, I'll happy to answer them. But I want to get into what his wife Elma told me, uh, and what we in turn shared with her. Chris, before we get to that, any questions? from our listeners that are relate to the so-called science of Dan Fry? Yeah, there are a couple, actually, um, and I'm glad you cut in uh, when you did here. Ray, Thomas Morrison is one of our, our posters at forum.theparacast.com, where our listeners can can you know, post questions for, for our guests. He says at the end of Fry's book, Adam's Galaxies and Understanding, which is published in 1960, Fry describes an intergalactic repulsive force this wasn't validated until 1998 when dark energy was discovered by astronomers. Uh, although I don't think dark energy has really been discovered. I think the effect of dark energy was been, has been discovered, Correct. Uh, actually, to, to be real accurate about it. But uh, Thomas wants to know, how. what do you make of this? And how do you know that well, any I'm of these other cases? I'm with this, his attempt to reason this out. But what we have to do, is be very careful. Uh, when you read something... And look back on it years later after getting certain information, it's easy to project and to feel the person was saying that. But if they didn't say that in the first place, as you point out, dark matter has not yet been defined. We have only evidence suggesting it by its effect. And uh, uh, it's far too early to say, and it's certainly considering that little almost nothing that's known about it to say that Dan Fry was talking about it. I read the same thing, and I tell you, I cannot, uh, I do not believe that we can say that. He didn't say anything that would indicate that. Uh, I mean, Dan did a lot of obviously thinking on his own and trying to figure out some things, but uh, don't get me wrong. I think Dan was a rather intelligent man. He, he didn't have formal education and really clearly uh, doesn't know uh, a lot about the things he's talking about, but he's he's obviously put thought into what he knew and what he'd read, and uh, I'll give him credit for that, even though he's misapplying it in uh, in stories that, that are not true. Uh, the um, uh, There's not time in this context to really explain in depth the problems with what Dan says about propulsion in this, this uh, that last book there in 1960. But uh, so we won't do that. But I, I appreciate uh, the thought that uh, the person who wrote this in is, is, is thinking about it and, and seeing. But I really, I just would caution about ex post facto projection of what we learn into what a person was saying when he didn't really say it. We merely deduced that he might have been talking about it. And that's the most we can say. But a lot of people could have been talking about that. In fact, there were quite a few. If you read not only science, but even science fiction back then, you see a lot of these same ideas that Dan is talking about are nothing new. You don't have to contact Elon of, of wherever in space to, to get this kind of so-called revelation. Any further questions from that Listener, Chris? Um, he does go on and say that Fry accurately described all the key characteristics of a gravitational fuel field propulsion system, faster than light travel capability, absence of G-forces on board, even under high acceleration, absence of time dilation effects in transit, etc. And all this was 38 years before Miguel Alcumbieri elucidated the theoretical physics of this concept in 1994. How do you think he did this? He didn't. That's that's the answer. He's reading into it. He absolutely did not. The uh, 
you know, this is not the way we do science. This is not the way we examine evidence. We do not take something afterward and say, that proves this. Because Dan Fry did not actually say these things. First place, his silly description, uh, where he describes his first trip, and when he comes back in, and they're going to, uh, uh, they're, they're coming back in, and they're going to give him uh, G, uh, a zero G, G state so he can experience what it's like. Oh, man, he goes through this terrible stress and, and this brilliant light that's about to consume him. I was going, well, I'm sorry, none of the astronauts ever reported anything of this nature when they went into a weightless uh, so-called zero-G state. And I'm sorry, but we have to dispense with our wishful thinking and our hopes about a case. Uh, let us get into the real facts of what I learned from his wife. And I think that maybe uh, this gentleman will take a different perspective. Uh, anybody could have picked up enough that was intelligent and thoughtful to say the things that Dan Fry said without talking to a spaceman. I, how do I know? Well, the people I was dealing with even in high school, my twin brother, in fact, at that time was going into nuclear physics. We talked physics and Einstein and these kind of things all the time. There's nothing surprising in what Dan said. In fact, we laughed when we read it. Both of us read it. And we said, gee, you know, this is, uh, this is kid stuff. And it is. So uh, he may believe as he likes, but uh, that doesn't uh, validate it. Let's, let's talk about the actual facts as I learned them from Elma, Dan's wife, whom he married, I believe, in uh, 1934. Sure. Let's proceed with that. Okay. Oh, in the first place... He supposedly had this amazing, life-changing experience on the desert at a time when he could not possibly have been and was not at White Sands. And describing the after-sunset scene, it said the sun had been down quite a while. That uh, could not have been valid, but he could not have been there. Now, his wife says, and told both my brother and me, she said the strange thing was this supposedly happened, but that she never heard anything about it. He never came home and said he had this experience. Suddenly, he's writing a book years later. And this, this thing is coming out. But she was totally shocked, as she was about other events subsequently. For example, the first picture that Dan Fry claimed to they revealed publicly that he said he'd been taken of a UFO was probably in daylight. And uh, it was uh, in Southern California. Uh, I think it was near a place that, where JPL is, is uh, located today, probably. But anyway, I think a Baldwin Park or someplace similar named to that. Let's go into that photo. In our next segment with Ray Stanford and Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com. Virtual care anywhere. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com.
All right, guys, we're ready for our four season sunroom, and Daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments. Oh no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Eubanks. You know, as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust, the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either. Call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-361-6907. 800-361-6907. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, so let's talk about that right now. Let's continue with it, Ray Stanford, about okay. Daniel Fry's yeah. alleged pictures. Right. This was the first picture that he came out with publicly. It's a daylight picture, and uh, it's a still picture. It's black and white. Here's the background on that. Uh, he claims that on a certain date he took this picture. But again, as with the event at White Sands, which you think you would go home and immediately be blabbering off the top of your head about it to your wife. He saw this thing, and if you look at the picture, it's, it's apparently a standard lens, if I remember. I mean, this thing covered uh, 
uh, at least, uh, I would say, one degree of arc or more in the sky. It's a good size image, despite the fact that it looks so very much like a, a coffee can of that period, of maybe Maxwell House. Uh, anyway, a coffee can with another small can on top of it. It doesn't look like any UFO that's ever been described, and it has no emitters. It has nothing exotic about it. It just looks like a couple of cans, one on top of the other. But anyway, uh, he supposedly sees this and photographs it. But guess what? He doesn't tell his dear wife, Elma. No, not at all. Well, one day, sometime after the date that his body was taken, Dan wanders in from uh, work at uh, the little Crescent Engineering uh, that he had there and uh, wanders in and uh, puts a, a, a packet from a Photoshop on the table. It has some photos and some negatives in it. And Elma wonders, what is this? Dan didn't say a word, so she picked it up and opened it up. And lo and behold, here's this picture of this, uh, this tin can UFO. And she said, she said, Dan, Where'd you get this? What's this? He said, oh, I didn't tell you. You know, I was over there, you know, on such and such date, and I saw this thing. I took a picture of it. Well, the truth of the matter is, he wanted to see whether it came out credible or not before he showed it to her. So then he pretends, oh, it's just quite casual, and there it is, and she discovers it and gets excited and so on and so forth. But she thought this was strange. Why didn't Dan tell me this? And you can understand he wouldn't want to let her see it until he knew for sure it was real. So he, he didn't say anything, because if he faked the pictures and they looked fake, he wouldn't want to show them to his wife, so he didn't tell her until he saw the pictures. It all adds up. Well, if this had just happened once, well, that's the second time, basically, because he didn't tell her about the, the event at White Sands either. It, that's not the only time it happened. It happened again and again. For example, late one afternoon, they decided to drive out from where they lived uh, n- near the L.A. area to... Uh, to uh, Joshua Tree, area where uh, a a lady that felt she was a psychic named Doris Levesque, she claimed to channel Ashtar, which, you know, I believe that like, uh, I mean, well, I don't believe it at all, <laughs> but it's ridiculous. But uh, anyway, she she was sincere. She was a decent lady. I mean, she just believed she was doing this. And uh, anyway, for whatever reasons, Dan and Elma decided they're going to go out and visit with her. And they go out there, and they're in the house with Doris. And I have this testimony not only from Elma, but from Doris herself. And they're in the house there, and they've been there for half an hour or so. And all of a sudden, Dan doesn't say a word to anybody. He just gets up and strolls out the front door. And and they hear the uh, the trunk of the car uh, open and close, but nothing else. After a while, they hear it open and close again. And after a while, Dan walks in. <laughs> And he says nothing to, to Elma or to uh, to uh, the other lady, uh, Darcel Beck. He said nothing whatsoever. Well, a few days later, another package shows up <laughs> when Dan comes home from work, uh, having been by the photo store, up, uh, put on the, the end table at the end of the couch. And uh, she opens it up. There may have been more than one in this case, but at least one black and white photograph. And it's, it's a, it's a carnious fake luminous object, I mean, of a UFO supposedly at night. She said, Dan, what is this? Again. And he said, oh, I forgot to tell you. You know, when I went outside, you know, uh, when, when we were at Doris's, uh, uh, I saw a UFO and I took a picture. Now, understand, <laughs> he opens the trunk. He's right there in hearing range. They hear the trunk open. And he doesn't say, hey, guy, come out here. There's this object out here. Oh, no. No, not at all. Well, if this he is doesn't tell his wife. I, I just can't get over that. That's right, and she's right inside the wall there, you know, right inside the the, the, the glass window, in fact. And uh, what he had done is clearly, it's just a piece of black cardboard with a crude UFO shape cut, crudely cut out, and, and a flashlight held behind it. I mean, absolutely, it's so carny, it's not even funny. But the world has never seen those pictures. Now, 
there's more. <laughs> I, I don't have the date of this, but anybody can check on it about this, this first alleged movie that he took. Uh, they were out at uh, George Van Tassel's uh, so-called spacecraft convention. And, uh, of course, there are a lot of people out there. And, uh, uh, well, they, they, they were there. And, of course, Dan was, as usual, one of the speakers. But at some point in the proceedings in, in broad daylight, uh, uh, Dan comes over to Elma and he says, he says uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to to walk across the mountain over there. He has, believe it or not, he has his uh, uh, his camera with him, but he has a big box. And she said, Dan, why are you why are you going to walk across? The, there was this hill. Just uh, I, I don't what direction. Well, I guess I'm presuming at this point in time it's probably kind of the east side of the big giant rock there. I've been there numbers of times. And uh, uh, why are you going across the hill? And he said, well, I've, I've, got, I've got to go over there and, and take a crap. And she said, well, you know, they had skid cams, you know, the, the, the portable told us that. He said, well, he's too busy. I'm going to go there. She said, well, why are you carrying the big box with me? And he said, well, I have to have plenty of toilet paper. <laughs> and uh, uh, if you can imagine this, and... Uh, he said, you know, uh, you have to be prepared. <laughs> Might see something pretty shocking, huh? Okay, well, <laughs> anyway, he comes back. He's got the box. He puts it in the back of the, the car. Never says a word to Elma that anything has happened over there. Nothing. Nothing at all. And so she doesn't think much about it. Well, a few weeks later, a couple of weeks later, a, a processed movie film <laughs> gets plopped on the, the end table again. When he comes home from work, when he picks it up from the processor, of course, Dan's already seen this. And so she said, well, Dan, what, what is this film? He said, oh, I forgot to tell you. You know, when I went across the hill over there to take a crap, this spaceship showed up, and I got a film of it. Now, of course, he's taking the box with a, with a model in it <laughs> over there. Well, I said, well, Elma, my gosh, I didn't know anything like this happened. I said, uh, she said, well, I want to show you the film. She said, I, 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 I don't know. Something bothers me. She said, I don't know. Dan never tells me these things until after he's seen the films or the pictures. And she said, I want you to look. You boys to look at this. Talking about my brother and me. So I want you boys want to look at this and, and, and see and uh, for yourself. I mean, she said, something bothers me about it. Well, bless her heart. We took the, uh, the uh, projector. I think it was 16 millimeter. I remember it could have been eight, but I think it was 16. Anyway, uh, and we set it up. The hands at work at Crescent Engineering. And we project this thing. And she says, by the way, wait, 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 before you start. Dan says that you have to run the projector at the maximum speed to safeguard the film. If you run it at the normal speed, it can damage the film. Huh? You know, I've projected pictures for years, and I guarantee if you want to get into trouble, try to run a camera at the, at the speed of which it's not normally made to run, but it, that's a, a super high speed. And uh, I said, do you know what, Elma? That doesn't make any sense. It, Dan's an engineer, and he doesn't realize that there's something wrong. Let's see what's here. I'm going to run it at normal speed. And she says, okay, you think it's safe? And I said, oh, yeah. She said, Dan's is not safe. I said, I don't care. It'll be safe. It'll be fine. So we projected the film. It was me and Rex and Elma. And by golly, here it shows it. You see this model. Now, let me tell you. And we stopped frame and we looked at it. And we watched frame by frame. All in the world, this, this thing is, this spaceship. It, it, I would say that he took the circular ring at the, you know, an old-fashioned lampshade. It had a, a circle ring of metal at the bottom and a smaller one at, at the top. And he took this and used the, the larger one as the midpoint. And he took another one down at the bottom of the same smaller side. And he 
What he did, he had clearly glued alternately black and white tissue paper on these panels, alternately uh, white and black. And the thing is clearly, okay, what he does to film it, he, he suspends it on a thin filament like a Damsky was, <laughs> was uh, suspending his little glowing uh, models. But uh, this is daylight. And so he's filming, he's, he films this thing, and you look at this thing, and you slow it down, and you see, and of course, it's bobbling exactly the way a small model would on the end of a line. It's well, that clearly, explains why it had to be run so fast. Let's get more of this. Well, no, that's not the reason. Okay. That's not the reason. Okay, we reason want to know the reason run. then. Okay, more to come with Ray Stanford and Gene and Chris. You're in. The Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features, and most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP hardened generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance. For your family or business, call Portable Solar LLC today. It's called the Deep State. Barack Obama's most loyal aides still hold office, and they want to stop President Trump. Deep State was first revealed in the runaway New York Times bestseller, Big Agenda. David Horowitz's Big Agenda exposes Obama's government in exile and his shocking plan. Newsmax, Lou Dobbs, and Coulter all say you must read Big Agenda at bookstores everywhere. Or check out our free offer. Call 800-NEWSMAX, 800-NEWSMAX, or go to BigAgenda411.com. That's BigAgenda411.com. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. 
Hi, my name's John Kunkel. I'm 63 years of age. I watched several YouTube videos of Stephen Hewers and learned what supplements might help me with energy and weight loss. I've now been on the Andreas Black Cumin Seed Oil, Synergy One, and six other products from Synergistic Nutrition for several weeks now. I've lost 10 pounds. My joint pain has been reduced significantly. I have a lot of energy that I've never had before. My cravings for sweets are gone, and I'm rarely hungry. Even my cravings for foods like hamburgers and heavy carbohydrate meals are now gone. This is the only thing that's worked for me. I was seriously considering bariatric surgery, but that's out the window now. Thank you so much, Synergistic Nutrition. With Synergistic Nutrition, we help you take the guesswork out of supplementation and help you hit the bullseye of success. I encourage you to get specific about your health needs because when you do, your body will celebrate with energy and well-being. Call Synergistic Nutrition today at 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. This is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. I notice Chris's voice is getting higher and higher as he listens to the wild tales about Dan Fry. Okay, so tell me, Ray Stanford, why... Did we have to run this so fast, not just to see the bobbing of the model, but other reasons? Right. Well, in the first place, keep him seeing the, the tissue paper bouncing up and down in the, wind, in the wind over the hill. But the real reason, here's the real reason. At some point, he's got this thin, I presume it's nylon line, which is kind of slick. And, of course, you're out there in the heat of the desert near, you know, John Rock, out in the middle of the high desert in California, and you're sweating. And guess what? The line slips in his hand. And the model slips, and he yanks and grabs it. He grabs the fish liner or the nylon thing and yanks it up. But here's why he didn't want you to see it. When he yanks it up, when you run it slow, the line tilts over at an angle that becomes a reflective surface of our local sun. <laughs> and by golly, you see the sun's reflection on the line all the way up. You know his hand's just beyond it. And then he bends it back real fast and yanks it up. And you even see the little model vibrate and rock from his hand, jerking it to get it back into to place before the camera. So it just happened that uh, I had a presentation about some of our UFO experiences that night at the local understanding, you know, which was Dan Fry's organization. So we would talk with them, and she said, Ray, that's fake. I said, oh, man, you're right. It's absolutely a fake. She said, that's a model on a, some kind of little line. And I said, absolutely. You saw it, and we saw it. So um, I said, how would you like it if I ran this tonight at regular speed? She said, I'd love it. <laughs> so we got there, and I gave my talk, and I said, well, I'll show you my film. I said, look, I want to show you a wonderful film that Dan Fry got at the, the recent spacecraft convention. Now, this is an amazing uh, movie, and I want you to see it. So I, put, I, I slipped it onto the projector, and uh, 
I started to run it, and Dan, literally, he was behind the book table. He physically jumped over the book table. He catapulted over the book table, ran over there and grabbed the switch and said, don't dare turn that on to normal speed. You have to run it at top speed. <laughs> and I turned around to Dan and I said, look, these people want to see as much of this as they can, Dan. And furthermore, you run it slow, there's less danger. Oh, no, it'll tear it up. I said, take my word for it. If this tears it up, I'll pay you $1,000 for it right now. You know, Dan, it's okay. And man, he broke out. Literally, his forehead broke out into a cold sweat. And he murmured and went over and sat down. And we projected this. And I'll tell you what happened. When it was over with, Dan was back behind the book table. And a wonderful couple that I had met, Harry and Margaret Whipple, uh, I had been over to their place to invite me over one night. And they were great, sincere, honest people, people and honest believers in Dan Fry. And had a little science enough to be impressed by the, the, the little science and pseudoscience that he threw into his books. But uh, when it was over with, Harry... Whipple walked up to Dan and said, you know, Dan, if I didn't know you so well, I would swear that I saw a piece of fishing line or nylon filament attached to that thing, and it slipped down, and you jerked it and jerked it back up. And Dan said, well, I, I don't know what that was. It might have been some energy beam or something. You know, I, I don't know. I don't even know what size this thing was, how close it was, and so forth. Uh, all I know is that I saw it, and I filmed it. <laughs> well, that's not the end of the story. One night at the dinner table, we we, were, we stayed for, I think, about a week at the Fry's house. And um, one night at the dinner table, I, I asked Dan, I said, Dan, you know, I'm concerned about this film. I mean, this looks like, to me, a small object suspended near the camera, and it shows the kinematic properties of that in his pendulation. Now, he had enough science background to know what I was talking about. And he says... And these are probably almost his exact words after all these years I remember. He says, right, well, you know, I've always said, I, I don't know how big this thing was. Uh, it could have been a big spaceship. It could have been a little uh, a little craft, uh, uh, maybe a foot or so in diameter. I, I don't know. I don't know whether it was near me or far away. Huh? He's there in broad daylight. He's filming this thing. He doesn't know whether it's a foot in diameter or whether it's a big spaceship far away. But guess what? While he's doing this, while he's saying this, something happens. It's known to those of us who have carefully studied psychopathic liars as the tick. Now, the tick can manifest in various ways, but Dan had a very bad one. When he started telling this lie, his shoulders started jer jerking up like he's shrugging something off. I mean, big time jerk, both shoulders. I mean, it was almost embarrassing to watch. So, I, you know, I changed the subject, and we were talking about the food, we were talking about the day. Nothing's happening. No shoulder jerk. I said, well, I'm going to find out. That that sure looked like a tick to me. I said, Dan, you know, I wonder what it was like for you to walk up to that to Alan's craft there that first night uh, at White Sands. You know, I'm wondering, what what did you feel? How What was your inner feeling, your emotion, and so on and so forth? And man, when he started telling that, his shoulders started jerking like crazy, the tick. Well, I already knew this from studying other cases of, of psychopathic liars. There had been one that appeared on TV and that, that we met named Todd Cuttridge there that claimed to have met some guys in green suits came out of UFO, very uncredible case. And uh, every time he would start talking about this rather than, you know, how he worked, where he worked, and so on and so forth, you would see in his, his left cheek, his proper left cheek, you would see a tick. It would jerk. It would actually jerk. And by the way, that's a fairly common uh, tick of, of psychopathic lives, but it can manifest in the shoulders. It can manifest in various ways. But the fact that Dan Fry, even in telling about the alleged first experience, he got the tick as soon as he started 
telling something that wasn't true. The tick started. And when we changed subject, he got right back to normal, and I never saw him tick except when he talked about these, these hoaxes of his. Wow. Some wacky yeah. characters out there. Yeah, I'll say. Yep. Now, just oh parenthetically here, obviously, George Adamski confessed to you two about what he was up That's to. Right. Any other contactees up and say, you know what? It's not true. We're just telling stories. No, no, I'm not a single one of them has ever done this. I would point out, people want to think about it, that when Adamski confessed, and uh, when he confessed this, and we exposed it, this exposed all the people that copycatted him. For example, George Van Tassel. Either George Van Tassel was either totally fantasy prone, based on something he believed, or he was a liar, because he claimed it physically... The scout ship that Adamski described and allegedly photographed came down out there, and a space being that he said was named Solganda came out of it and communicated with him. Well, I'm sorry, but George Adamski's lampshade did not come down with anybody inside of it and talk to, to George Van Tassel. And, a flying uh, lampshade. That sounds like fun. I'd love to be on one of those. It sounds like something I might have done when I was a kid. I remember there was a company that sold you like a cardboard spaceship, and it was big enough that a normal-sized kid can go in there, maybe two kids, and play, you know, Space Ranger or something. Oh, well, hey, uh, speaking of uh, UFO models, let me tell you something after... uh, Okay, let me tell you this, too. Elma got so upset about this, she divorced him shortly thereafter. She knew for sure now that she'd seen that movie and we'd slowed it down and she'd seen the string that all these things of him not telling her about them until he knew they'd been processed and what might impress her. She knew that he'd been lying to her all these years. And uh, although they've been married, I think since 1934, uh, that that really uh, ended it. Now, he married later a woman who went under the name of Tahalita, if I remember the name correctly, after all these years. And if you think Dan Fry's movies, oh, oh by the way, he, he also made one or two movies with another model, made more sophisticated with multiple bands around the middle and white tissue paper on the top and bottom, and it uh, up in, in uh, Washington, Oregon, somewhere up there, and with the, with the nice... Uh, evergreen trees in the background and so on but it has the same properties it's nothing but a small model and in that case i'd have to i haven't looked at it in some years i don't remember if it was actually filmed on the scene or if it was double exposed and i i just don't know at this point but it's definitely a small model made the same way but done with a whole lot more care and experience in this case but let's go to tahalita the lady he married years later she claimed that she filmed an adamski type craft i've seen the movie and uh, what she filmed is really funny, because Dan Fry and anybody that ever went to those conventions out on, on at, Dan, at, at Van Tassel's place would see for sale a Japanese ashtray that had, from the ashtray, it had a curved uh, steel uh, wire that went up and held a little tin model of Adamski's alleged uh, Venusian scout ship. And it was it was carny as heck. It didn't really match in detail what Adamski had. You could tell by looking at it, it wasn't the same thing. It wasn't nearly as sophisticated as the big, the lampshade Adamski had used with all kinds of machining and and finish, fancy finish on it. This was just a you know little tin model of Adamski's thing. But and it was used in several different um, fakes. I I think that um, in fact that Gray Barker, uh, perhaps along with the help of certain other parties, the fake one too with that. But Tahalita came out with this thing. She said that she filmed this. Let's discuss the film in our next segment. Okay?
with Ray Stanford. We can go on for hours without interruption with this. More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, let's continue with Ray Stanford describing that picture and how it was made. By the way, anytime you mention Gray Barker, we know that he and Jim Mosley and others did this Lost Creek movie some right. years later. Yep, 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 that's it. And anyway, let's talk about Tahalita's movie. I was so shocked when I saw this. In the first place, I recognized the model from the, from the Japanese ashtrays immediately. It's clearly pendulating on the line. And the crazy thing is you can even see the line in this case. You can actually see it. If you look carefully, there's a lot of people that are, well, woo, gee, where's this spaceship? Don't bother and stuff like that. But if you look carefully, you can see it. But this thing is pendulating like this little model on this thing with the woods all disfocused out in the background. And uh, it's pendulating, and all of a sudden, she moved her hand a little too much, and it pendulated a little too much, and guess what? The crude little metal bottom that had the little tongue and groove, one little metal tongue and groove holding it in place under the flange, popped out, and the bottom fell out, and the opposite side of it had one tongue and groove left, and it fell down and bounced, bump, 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 bump. <laughs> the, model, the whole bottom drops out, and you see this thing go bump, 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 bump. 
And after a while, she cuts off the camera as <laughs> she realized what's happening. Okay. They ask her, what in the world happened? She said, well, that was an ecological spacecraft. The whole bottom opened up, and you can't see it on the film, but millions of birds from all over the sky were sucked into there. <laughs> and after oh, I cut God. off the camera, it closed back up. <laughs> so Man. there you go. And that was Dan Price's wife. Time. That was his second or third. I don't know which one. I don't know if he had a third one, but anyway, that was after, after the nice lady, Alma. I always think here, if you took one of these contactees and they met a real UFO, they'd be running and screaming for their lives. They would, yeah. Yeah, you, you'd probably have to explain to them what it is. Their concepts are so based on cartoonist concepts and, and hoaxers' concepts of descriptions of these things that they might not even know the real thing if they saw it because they're a hell lot more exotic than they ever dreamed, at least based on my experience and my experience with my crew and our instruments. Well, I know Howard Menger had a series of photos that if you looked at them, there were paintings made of the spaceship taking off in the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> well, yeah, he was, he was a sign painter by profession, and uh, yeah, they definitely were, were painted on there with, uh, you know, just afterglow paint, I guess. Uh, yeah, you could you could see in some cases see that. And also, he made a common mistake that uh, I didn't make when I when I did the improved version of the the book cover on on Flying Saucers of Landed, but he made, despite being a, a sign painter, uh, he made the mistake of, of making the ellipse of the top of the dome out of parallel with the ellipse of the bottom of the flange. And it is a typical mistake made by an amateur artist. And that, that was very obvious, but you could also, as you say, I mean, it was obviously a painting, and you could also see the, uh, you could see the brushstrokes. And right, but look, if the guy is a sign painter, you want him to give sign for your business or something. How does that qualify him for doing just regular pictures? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he also had that, uh, I think it was a, a movie, supposedly taken on the surface of the moon, which is, is really quite corn-pone, too. And by the way, you, you probably know you get these Adamski people today. They, they say, oh, but, but it's been proven there's an atmosphere on the moon. Yeah, sure. I was talking, in fact, with a, with a high-level engineer of many years' experience at Goddard Space Plus Center yesterday. Uh, day before yesterday, over lunch, and uh, you know they're designing now a, a craft to go into orbit around the moon. It's, it's going to be using uh, spectroscopy to look for uh, signs of water. The moon does have a very low-grade atmosphere right near the surface. It, it, it professes off, let's say, but it's nothing that anything could live off of. I mean, it's just basically instrument detectable, and under certain circumstances, you might be able to see it with proper optics. But uh, it's nothing at all that would sustain life as we know it. And yet, as you recall, Adamski claimed to seeing uh, an animal uh, run across the surface of the moon uh, and that there was life there. Well, uh, maybe it was the rabbit in the moon. My dad showed me the rabbit in the moon years ago. And the, the, the Aztecs believed in a rabbit in the moon. You know, I've told this story in the Paracast before. You might like to hear it. And that is, in the mid-60s, I was working with Jim Mosley at Saucer News over at 303 Fifth Avenue in New York City. And Jim gets a call from Howard Menger. Now, Jim was none too kind to any of these contactees. And Menger suggests they have lunch. So we went across the street to a diner just across from 303 Fifth Avenue. I do not know if that diner is still here, what the office building is like in 2017. This is many years ago. And Menger starts to go on that he was part of some kind of government experiment and that the beings or alleged beings that he met were government agents. And he went on for that for a while. And they started building models of flying saucers. 
And I wonder if this is a way for him to kind of get out from under that cloud or what? It sure sounds like it might be. I, I think I, I can't recall who, but I, I think I've heard of other claims like this. You know, if you if you can't blame some, blame, you don't want yourself blamed. Blame the CIA or the NSA or one of the one of the three initial organizations. And uh, you know, oh, by the way, I would mention the the accusation that people make that somehow Adamski was in collusion with the intelligence community. Let me say that I would not buy that. I could practically swear in my life that that could not possibly be true. Adamski was Adamski, and I guarantee you he was not the kind of guy that would have been involved. This was on his own doing this stuff, and people imagine all kinds of things. Oh, he had contact with scientists from down in San Diego, naval science. Of course he did, because they were interested. I mean, they were, nobody knew much about UFOs at that time. They wanted to see if he was really onto something or not. And uh, But uh, I don't buy for a minute that he was connected with the intelligence community or that he did any of this as a ploy. But I will add that people say, oh, the intelligence community is always trying to destroy this field and its credibility. Well, let me say that the tendency of this field to for people to be merely collectors, collect reports, basically hearsay. I don't care how good the report or who reported it. It's hearsay. Their tendency to collect and extrapolate upon descriptions that people give has then done as much damage to this this field as anything the intelligence community could have done. True, there's been a lot of attempt to discredit, and that's unfair and not good. But uh, contrary to what one of the TV shows tried to pretend, Zamora, the government never tried to discredit Zamora in any way whatsoever. And had they done so, Heineck would have really gotten onto their case because uh, this case really impressed him. But uh, anyway, the thing is, uh, the intelligence community, uh, they've been greatly helped by the fact that, uh, and we're seeing this again today, uh, people, uh, one major person in the field said, what we need to do is to get a gigantic data bank of reports. The reports that that have been collected by any organization since the, the 40s have still not brought this to the table of mainstream science. Only hard data obtained with instruments by good people who know how to document what they're doing with the instruments and how to report on it and analyze it. We'll get it there. And if I could ever get some of the people out there to come here and let me show them what my organization and I got, they would know we can move on the way. But I need help of a lot of people that have been ignoring this. And uh, I, I hope somehow that this will happen. But anyway, I think that ufology is sometimes its own worst enemy. Well, I, I couldn't agree more, Ray. I've been kind of fascinated as the fly on the wall here in today's show. But I think ufology does more than an adequate job of just creating cacophony around this subject, number one, uh, and number two. Just eating its young and, and shooting itself in the in, in the foot with a howitzer. Uh, I don't think there's really uh, any need for the intelligence services to uh, t- to attempt to t- <laughs> to do it any better because it's be already being done very effectively, as you pointed out. <laughs> so they don't need any useful idiots, the intelligence agencies, because these people are too busy behaving like <clears throat> useful idiots. Well, I'm sure, you know, from time to time, I think in the past there have been some disinformation agents, um, and, and there may be now too, but I, I don't think it's as pervasive as a lot of people would like uh, like to, to believe. We're recalling the contactees the here with Ray Stanford. We'll have more from him in a few moments. 
But I also would like Chris to check out our questions, any more relevant questions to the contactees of the 50s. They asked other questions of Ray's work, and maybe we'll have time to get to them before the end of the show, but we're going to focus mostly on these experiences with Ray Stanford and his early encounters with the contactees. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Attention investors, 2017 is the year of Trump and financial markets are rising at all-time highs. But economic uncertainty may be greater than after any election in our lifetime. And as retirement approaches, there's little time to recover your losses. You need to hedge against uncertainty. That means transferring part of your retirement to physical gold and silver stored where you can actually hold it in your hand and get it fast in any disaster. It's a perfect time to buy. Prices are low and expected to climb. Make Augusta Precious Metals, your personal gold and silver provider. Augusta cares for your financial position and helps you make good decisions. And they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. Get Augusta's free gold and silver IRA guide. What you learn could help you weather any economic storm. There's no obligation. Just call toll-free. Call 855-222-5857. That's 855-222-5857. Again, 855-222-5857. Trust Augusta. Protect your retirement today. You may own a knife, but if it's not an indie hammered knife, it's not a knife. From the forge to the grinder to the sheath, each indie hammered knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie hammered knives. Custom knives made in America. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. 
and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Being self-reliant is about being prepared and to do what you need to have your own source of renewable energy. Portable Solar LLC offers the most powerful EMP-hardened solar system on the market that is transportable from place to place. And the best part, it's very affordable. Contact them at PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875. SolArc EMP-hardened solar generator, energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today or go to PortableSolarLLC.com to check out their patent-pending technology. This is Micah Hanks of the Grayling Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Ian and Chris with Ray Stanford. Chris, any more questions that are relevant to the contactees in our forums? There are, actually. Let's see. Here's a good one. Uh, Ray, are you aware of any other cases besides the RAF Bentwaters incident where military observers were close enough to touch an unidentified object? By the way, I'm not convinced that anybody touched an object at Bentwaters. I'm not convinced of the testimony of the individual who claims that they walked around it and saw train day. It might be true. I'm not saying it's not true, but I'm not convinced of it. But uh, uh, for touch the objects, uh, I think there probably was, but I don't have any proof of it. For example, when I was driving back from Zakur on April 30th, 1964, following my initial in, in, uh, trip there and investigation, uh, I saw and photographed, got two photographs in color, ectochrome film, of uh, a rather remarkable object, actually objects. When one's in the area, usually there are more uh, around it and associated with it. But that was 10.30 in the morning, heading back toward Phoenix on the highway across the high plain there in New Mexico, where they later built the great uh, the array of the, the radio telescopes. And, uh, but at that, that same day, and I think that same morning, allegedly, as you probably know, uh, a bomber flying over the integrated Holloman White Sands range saw an object that, the, that in response to questioning, he said, looked like what that policeman down in Socorro described. And supposedly, he said, now, oh, it's on the ground. And supposedly it did land, and supposedly, according to rumors, it was filmed. And it, it's interesting, but um, there's—I'm trying to call something that I just learned the other day by a surprise about that. Well, I, okay, I got the name of, of one of the people that apparently was involved in, in filming this, but um, apparently it was supposed to have been filmed on the ground, and there were occupants, and contact was made. Now. It may have happened uh, because of what I saw. I'm, you know, maybe I have a slight waiting toward. I have a weight in my mind that makes me tend to want to believe that that's what happened. But I can't personally confirm it in any way, except that the Lorenzans, Jim and Carl Lorenzen, heads of the Aerophenomena Research Organization, APRO, uh, had several different uh, bits of information from different people that indicated this, and they claimed to me that uh, that the man who processed the movie film also told them what he saw after he processed it. And I believe that it, it's probably true. The, the odd thing about this is, uh, in my experience, is that uh, we, after I'd been on the Phil Donahue show with Alan Heining, I got a bunch of letters. Uh, I was contacted by a lady in Austin whose uh, brother was uh, uh, a scientist working, a physical scientist, working at White Sands. And uh, she had told, if you called him and told him about what she saw, and she didn't know we were right there. She was in Austin, that we were right there in Austin. And she told him, and uh, he said, listen, we've been plagued. This was the summer, July of uh, 78. 
we've been plagued out here. Tell them if they can, I can't get them on the base, but if they can sneak around, I can practically guarantee them they will get them with those instruments because this is so intense that we have had a directive to use any means at our disposal to get intelligence on these objects. Well, without telling the story, which we don't have time to tell today, we went out there and we experienced what I called, even at the time, a ufologist's dream. But the curious thing was that this was a few months after the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out in December of 77, and this was, in, uh, this was on the night of July 19th, 1978. And by golly, just like on uh, Devil's Tower in the movie, somebody had constructed huge lighted yellow sequencing panels, high-speed sequencing panels atop Oscura Peak. That's an interesting place because if you stand on top of it, look right down the west slope, down just a little ways is the Trinity site where the first nuclear bomb was set off. But anyway, these panels sequenced and objects did incredible maneuvers. Then mysteriously, they would take off moving at a few hundred miles per hour and move off exactly on the coordinate of Socorro. And would apparently, as soon as they get in the Socorro era, they would vanish to our eyes. But in one case, we left the camera open that was photographing them, the 35 millimeter camera. And we found out that at incredible speed, there is a streak where they go back and reappear mysteriously. They looked to the naked eye like they disappeared at the Zagora coordinate and reappeared in front of the panels. But actually, the photograph, or maybe one, more than one photograph, showed that there was a, instead of the slow trip over there, a few hundred miles per hour, at incredible speed, thousands of miles per hour, they streak back and suddenly reappear to the eye in front of the panels, doing maneuvers that put anything you saw in close encounters to shame. But what puzzles me could these beings be using some kind of symbolic logic? Why did they keep going over to Socorro, then disappearing to the eye and coming back and maneuvering in front of those panels and go back to Socorro again? Finally, after 35 minutes, and we had a weird presentience of knowing what was going to happen, I said, well, there's a tape recording of this, I say it out loud, and, and strangely, my wife and the man who was the other man who was on our, our crew with us agreed with me irrationally. We don't know why we felt that way, but we knew that that time when they maneuvered at the panels, they would no longer go back to this girl. They would head over to Holloman Air Force Base. And that's what they did, although you hear it on the tape before it happened. But what puzzles me is what was the Socorro connection? Why would they leave the panels, go back over to Socorro, suddenly vanish to the eye, reappear in front of the panels doing incredible maneuvers, then slowly at a few hundred miles per hour go back over there? I don't know that there's a connection. I don't claim to understand it, but I wish I could. And again, this was 78. 78, July 19th, right in the evening. Well, we um, I remember we did cover your experiences out of White Sands in quite quite a bit of detail, and I do urge our listeners to go to, uh, I think it would be Ray's second uh, appearance at the Paracast back in 2009 or 10, where he does uh, go into quite a bit of detail about the documentation uh, and the scientific data that they were able to acquire with their instruments uh, while they were experiencing this. This very, very, um, I think, important uh, sighting event that um, resulted in quite a bit of um, of scientific hard data, which uh, we go into quite, like I said, uh, quite a bit of detail on our our, our previous uh, show with Ray. But uh, Ray, I have some other questions here. We're starting to run out of time. This is a really good one. This is um, this comes off as someone that is really thinking outside of the box. And again, this comes from Thomas Morrison. I wonder if Mr. Stanford has ever considered that an advanced humanoid species might conduct an elaborate psychological operation with a range of human subjects as a smokescreen to protect a real contactee from potentially dire official consequences. 
by creating a rash of campy and laughable contact experiences, a genuine contactee would be written off as just another silly hoax instead of being detained, interrogated, and possibly tested or tortured if the government actually believed that they had had contact with an advanced alien race. That sounds like something our own intelligence agencies might do if we wanted to make covert contact on an alien planet. So why wouldn't even a more advanced civilization employ sophisticated deceptions like that with us? <laughs> we don't. It's a good question, but the thing is, uh, when you begin to think like that, it's kind of like a guy I knew that uh, that tripped out and had to be in the hospital for six months from LSD. And uh, when he recovered and came out, a few months later, he did it again. When he finally came back to life after that one, I asked him why. He said, I, I, I did it to try to understand why I did it the first time. <laughs> and um, the thing is, when we get ourselves into this convoluted kind of reasoning, which is pure speculation about a case, instead of taking the evidence that it is a hoax at face value, we get into an absolute quagmire of supposition, wishful thinking, hopes, and absolutely sometimes paranoid delusion. I'm not accusing this person of man because it's, it's, it's intelligent thinking. He's, he's, he's asking a good question there. But I, I'm saying it's dangerous. We got more to come with Ray Stanford and Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Minuteman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Minuteman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug outhouse that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family survival to survivalistcamps.com. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow Allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-615-7709. That's 800-615-7709. 800-615-7709. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know the credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. 
Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Hi, this is James Fox from Chasing UFOs. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So we had to stop that answer for the break, but now, Ray Stanford, would you continue your response? Okay. Yes. In other words, it gets us nowhere to think like this. We Not only can we not prove it, but it gets into a deep quagmire of potentially self-delusion, wishful thinking, paranoid self-deception, and you can never prove it. There's no testability. It's not science. It's, it's, it gets so convoluted to explain why, when knowing human nature, it's very simple to see the behavior of Daniel Fry and the, the tick is, has been known uh, long before we talked about UFOs uh, when people are psychopathic liars. And uh, when you see this, I'll say this, although Occam's razor is not a scientific principle, it is a philosophical principle, it suggests that the explanation that is most commensurate with the fact, the simplest explanation commensurate with the facts is the one that should be taken. In this case, I would certainly agree, and uh, we, I think we, we need to be very cautious when we're talking about things like this, not allow ourselves to get into convoluted thought and uh, delusion without any basis whatsoever to believe it. Uh, we can think all day, we can think of it as science fiction, and that, that it might happen, but when we go trying to convince ourselves that it happened in a, a case where it has a much simpler explanation, as a hoax or otherwise, I think we're getting into deep waters that we would better avoid. That also kind of leads me to the next question, which is uh, kind of along the same lines, and this one comes from William Straithman. Prior to claiming contact, Adamski was involved in the occult Truman Bethram was a spiritual advisor, and 
George Van Tassel was hosting group meditations. In your opinion, were Adamski, Bethroom, and Van Tassel simply lying about their experiences, or do you think it's possible that they were misled by the occult and spiritual powers that they had been involved with, or had attempted to be involved with, to the point of even including visionary experiences and telepathic communication? <laughs> well, it is a good question, but the problem is I have the same answer as the one before. We get into speculation to which we cannot determine the answer, and therefore we can get into we can be end up dismissing something as something that it isn't really. The thing is, something though is known about human nature and human behavior, and when we see these things in a case like this, it is most commensurate with the facts simply to realize that we're dealing with hoaxers that, in some cases, as in Damsky, did have spiritual beliefs, and I think at some level Dan felt that he wanted to try to do some good with his organization because I think he used this as a, as a I, you know, I don't understand it unless it was his status inconsistency. He's an intelligent man, but who was never, he was disadvantaged as a child because of, of uh, losing his parents and another sad situation. And I think he, he wanted to do something, but I think if this was the means he chose to do it, it was uh, a self-defeating means uh, in, in the long run. But anyway, we just need to be cautious and take go where the facts lead us most obviously and not get into convoluted extrapolations upon uh, certain parts of the, the facts. I think that's good, uh, good advice. Hey, I've got an idea. Do we have time for me to say a bit about Truman Bathroom? We wanted to get into Truman. I think we have a couple of segments left, so yes, we do. Okay. Truman Bathroom is very controversial. Most people in this field don't believe him. And yes, there, there are some things in, in the stories of things that allegedly are arranged. <laughs> the female captain of a third two-member male crew uh, allegedly told him that are pure BS, obviously. But there are some odd things about this that I ran into. And now I can say I, I met Truman uh, one day. Uh, we went up to Prescott, uh, my brother and I and Bob Matthews, and uh, on the way back from California trip. And uh, maybe the same trip I mentioned before. And... Uh, uh, he, he seems sincere, and I, I know that uh, I, I knew people in Prescott, I, I, I lived there for a little while, that knew him personally and felt he was totally sincere and that he was really in love with our range, the space captain. All right, let me tell you what happened to me. I was in a, a photo store picking up some photo prints that I had one time in Phoenix, and uh, a nice lady ran up to me and said, you're Arab, you're Arab. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, my husband is the famous painter, Jay Davis, but he has the, the Katina School of Art. And tonight we are painting an Arab. And if we could put a, a thing on your head and uh, you got that beard and that mustache, you make a perfect Arab. So we'd like to use yours as a model tonight. We'll pay you. Can we do this? Well, I said, sure, that sounds like fun. I'd like to meet Jay. I've, I've seen his paintings for years in, in uh, Arizona highways and, and elsewhere in buildings. And so, sure. So I did. Well, I got to talking with Jay, and uh, he found out that I paint. And so uh, uh, he said, look, uh, in, in this big, huge studio he had, he, he was painting a mural on a canvas. The mural, I don't know, it might have been 100 feet long. It was to go up in the wall of a gigantic uh, swimming pool on the head of Camelback Mountain. Some wealthy builder had built his, was building this up there, and it was a forest with deer, and it would have a, water, a real waterfall to come out of the end of it and go right down into the stream with pumps bringing the water back around. And... Uh, so I said, sure, Dave, I'll be happy to help you paint this. I realize how big it is and what a job it is. So I did. One day we were painting, and he said, Ray, you, you said you're into UFOs. He said, let me tell you something. He said, uh, he said, if you want to meet this guy, I could introduce you to him. But he said, I'll tell you the story now. Uh, he knew a man that was um, 
he was retired from whatever business, I don't know, but he was a good goldsmith and, and silversmith. And he used lost wax in making some really nice uh, jewelry for people in uh, up in Prescott, where Truman Bethram lived. And, uh, okay, what happens is this this man who who, who left his business there and went back to work as a banker in Phoenix uh, was attending a civics club meeting. But, well, let me go back to Prescott. One day he was at his shop. And he said, this strange little lady, he said, she walked through the door. I forget this high. Read Truman about this book and see what size our range was. Four foot two, eyes are blue, whatever. But uh, she was wearing, I think, a red blouse and a black pleated skirt, he describes. And uh, he said, this little lady, that size, walked in the door. And he looked at her and said, my God, that little woman is out of this world. He said, that's the figure of speech he used for himself. And she came up and she said, hello. She said, I'm wondering if, if you could, she said, I have a feeling you're, you're talented. I'd like to ask if you could, could make this for me. And she drew a round disc with a human hand on it, the palm facing forward to the observer. And it's doing, believe it or not, the Boy Scout symbol with three fingers sticking up, but, you know, the, the little finger and the, and the thumb together. And um, just make it out of, of pure gold. And he said, I can make it lost wax and then cast it as gold. And it'll be no problem. She said, okay, I know you're an honest man. I know you're going to do a good job. So here's the money. She gave him cash. Said, just bring it down and leave it at the desk. For And he gave her name. Just tell her it's for Aura. So he did. He had nothing. You know, it was strange. that this woman is very strange and she's totally trusting. But he made it. Now, in making the, the wax thing for it. He made an accidental coming making the lines of the palm and but he knew if he messed with it too much it'd mess it up. So he left he left it as much as the part that he thought he couldn't correct. And he went ahead and cast it and he made it. He put it on the gold chain and, and took it down and left it for her. Well when he finally left this job in Phoenix and went back in, into banking. Uh, he was a, a president or a, a high level vice president of, of one of the banks there. Um, he was attending a civics club meeting one day and they said, now today, we have, and by the way, this guy was a total disbeliever. He did not believe in UFOs. If he's still living, he still doesn't, I'm sure. But they said, today we have a man who says that he met the female captain of a 32-member male crew of a UFO 300 feet in diameter on the desert. Not once, but several times. His name is Truman Bethlehem. And uh, welcome, Truman Bethlehem. He got up, he gave his talk, and this guy said he was laughing his ass off. This lying son of a bitch. But... All of a sudden, he got to the description of her clothing and her height. You know, that sounds familiar. And he, um, when the thing was over, he said he was trembling. He said he had the weirdest feeling. He went up to Bethlehem and he said, Mr. Bethlehem, are you wearing that medal? Oh, oh. He said, oh he, uh, Truman Bethlehem said that, 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 that our range had given him a medal that he always wore. And it, because she said that this may be the last, I'm going far away and may never see you again. And he said, Mr. Bethlehem, are you wearing that today? And he said, yes, I am. He said, would you mind pulling it out of your shirt? He pulled it out and he said, it's the one I made. And he had described the woman that, that had me make it. And he said, so I don't believe, and these are Joe, Jay's quote of the word, I don't believe in these UFOs. They're all a bunch of crazy crap. But I believe in the Admiral Scow and our arranged. <laughs> Hey, we got more to come with Ray Stanford. Final segment with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. 
Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive PowerCast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the PowerCast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a PowerCast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off-the-grid mobile survival bug out house that's well-equipped and custom-built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement? You bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family's survival to survivalistcamps.com. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blocket Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Today, how to incorporate your business in just 10 minutes so you won't lose everything if you get sued. Step one, stop putting it off. If you're not incorporated and someone sues your business tomorrow, it's not just your business at risk. You can lose everything, your home, your car, even your life savings. Step two, call the following number for a free 10-minute incorporation guide from incorporate.com. 1-800-945-1063. They don't provide legal or financial advice. They just make incorporating quick and easy. So you can incorporate or form an LLC in just 10 minutes. That number again is 1-800-945-1063. Step three, congratulate yourself. By taking just 10 minutes to incorporate your business or form an LLC, you protected your home, your car, and your life savings. And that is how you incorporate your business in just 10 minutes. But hurry while they're still giving away these 10-minute incorporation guides for free. Call 1-800-945-1063. That's 1-800-945-1063. 
The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Hi, this is Don Ecker, and you are tuned into the Paracast. Let me tell you what, you're going to hear stuff here that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Hear that, George Snorri? So, Ray Stanford, do we assume then that Aura Reigns was a real person, but probably not someone from outer space? Maybe his mistress? No, I wouldn't think that. Let's take the story, if it's true, in the book of his boss. Uh, he and his boss were reportedly in a uh, restaurant bar in uh, some town there, near where this work had been going on, where he had the initial contact. And uh, he looked over at the bar, and here our arranged had come in with several members of her crew, and they were drinking orange juice. I don't know if there's anything in there or not, but they're drinking orange juice. He noticed it looked like to him, he had seen them, but it looked like to him that some of these guys had used a little plaster on their face to make themselves a little more normal. And he told his boss, that, 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 that's them. We got to follow them when they go out of here. You get to see the crowd, maybe. And so they went out the door, but my golly, they looked out, they ran to the door as soon as they, and they had vanished. They had vanished and could not find them. And there's, there's other things he tells in there. For example, there was a Chinese woman that he knew that wrote a thing in Chinese and asked our range. He said, she said she can communicate in any language, see if she can answer me. And he shows her message and the, the answer. It's short. But it, it uh, is apparently genuine. And he gets very complicated, but Truman Bethram seems so genuine. Let me say, I've got right here on my shelf two books. They're basically love poetry, you might say. Two are arranged. But I don't believe for a minute that this was a terrestrial woman. His real wife, she divorced him, and her, her complaint was that he's in love with this arranged woman from space and not with me, and I don't want anything more to do with him. And that's what it was, and, and the divorce was granted. I don't know if it was on that basis or not. And Bethlehem went on his way, and he wrote these books, which to me, you know, they're not sonnets, but <laughs> they're love sonnets or whatever in the figure of speech sense, to our arranged, who he said told her that she may never see him again. And apparently, uh, I guess she never did. But anyway, he had the gold medal. I don't know what happened to him after his passing. But anyway, that's the story as I heard it from Jay. I really don't know what to make out of it, except it gave me a lot more credence for Bethlehem's story than I had before Jay told me the story. Whoa. That's fascinating. I love That's that story. Weird. I mean, what are the odds of that guy walking into that talk and, and encountering Bathroom? It's pretty amazing. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Any more questions, Chris? Yeah, we've got a bunch of more a bunch of questions Just, here. What does ufology do wrong, Ray? We've talked about this per, you know, you and I. In a real quick sort of thumbnail version, what you, you, what does ufology do wrong and what can be done to improve it? Okay. It studies reports instead of studying the objects. It needs to study the objects with methods that are superior to the human perceptual systems. And that means, of course, good optics, good recordings. And by the way, 
people need to study these things in daylight because their effect upon the backlighting coming from the sky is very important in, in diagnosing the physics involved. As quite aside from what you record with your electronic gravimeter, magnetometer, and other electronic instruments, you're actually seeing things. I can show people thousands and thousands of daylight films with wonderful effects that become visible because of filming these in polarized light and seeing thus the effect, what their field has on the backlighting. It, it's wonderful. There's been a major, major physicist who's been here and complimented me. He says, man, I don't know why I didn't think of this, that this is the way to go. But that's a real study of the object and their effects. These effects are high speed, high energy physics in this propulsion. Always high energy physics is high speed. The cameras used in studying plasma now film millions of frames a second. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. And the faster we can film UFOs, the better. But people need to start going out and realizing these things hang around more in daytime than at night. They know apparently they can be seen at night, but they are not easily quickly noticed in the daytime. And that's the time to get the most evidential evidence. But they need to wake up and realize that instruments is the way to go. Reports have not satisfied because they are reports they're studying reports instead of objects. That is the major sin of ufology. Also, another one is letting people get up on the stage presented by an organization that claims it's scientific, and you swear you are talking to people at a nuthouse. MUFON and other organizations have had people there presenting things that should not have been allowed if they are, as they claim, scientific organizations. We've complained about that. That's an important point, Ray. We have complained about that for quite some time. There's no real vetting of speakers before these events. Basically, popularity contest to get the people that'll put the butts in the seats, not taking into account, you know, the validity of their work uh, or whether it's even worthy of uh, of considering. You know, it's really sad. I, I I'm glad that the International UFO Congress seems to be improving some in this regard, but uh, MUFON seems to be backsliding. Yeah, well, it does. I'm very upset about this upcoming conference claiming a secret government space program. If it's secret. They need to keep their mouths shut. We have enough enemies in the world. But tell you the truth, I, I kind of believe there's an agenda and has been in me for some years to kind of switch it over and say, well, you know, the, the serious things that are being seen are actually black project craft. So, you know, to me, it's just unconscionable, considering the state we're in in the world, that we would be having a conference supposedly showing evidence of a black project. We do. There is, of course, black projects and they're black project craft. But let me tell you, I have some films of them in daylight, but they are nothing compared to the real anomalous aerial objects that we've also filmed. But they should not be. If they are a UFO organization, why are they doing this, putting down government secret research? I don't think it's right. I think it's well, I, I don't like it. I'll just put it that way. Smacks of a uh, perfect uh, platform for a lot of good, high quality disinformation. Yep, that's true, too. Yeah. Now, we're almost out of time here, so before we let you go, obviously, listeners have been asking when you're going to start really presenting more of your UFO information to the public. you have a timetable yet? Well, I'm working. I'm trying to work something out. Here, here's what I'd like to do. For example, I'm thinking, uh, you, you gave me the, the number of Jacques Vallée. I'm, I, I want to call him, but I don't call people cold. I email him first. I'm going to ask him to call me. I want to talk to him. Jacques is one of the few people that could get me and this material. If he would come and see this material, he would be happier than he's been in his whole ufological life. I can guarantee it. But if he would do that, and would, if he can then get me a high-level, legitimate publisher that can publish this on a huge scale, 
get it as a bestseller in New York Times and elsewhere, uh, that would that would get me to come open with it. I need, you know, I don't want to release stuff out on the internet and let every joker come to our page. I want to publish it in hard copy first so people know what was there originally. Sure, people will take it after that and I'll try to screw it up and do all kinds of things with it. But I want to have it a, a high-level qualified publisher with some good review by, you know, no matter what some people may think of Jacques, he is, I just heard a talk he gave last year, and he is literally, possibly, the best thinker in ufology, because he does not insist on throwing these things into the 1950s spaceship box or anything else. He is thinking multidimensionally, but objectively and scientifically. And I admire this. And to tell you the truth, I haven't seen anybody in a major so-called position in this field that is doing that. And now he's coming out and voicing that and saying it. And I am I was thrilled and I almost wept to see. I was so happy to see his position. But I now need to communicate with him and, and let him get over here and see this for himself and then see where we move. I need help. Thank you for coming on, Ray. You don't have a website or anything if people want to see what you do. No, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't. But I've never done that because I'd get so busy with it, I, I wouldn't do the rest of the work on, on the stuff I'm trying to get ready to publish. Mainly, uh, I want my UFO stuff out, AAO as I prefer. But I also am heavily involved in this this paleontological research I'm doing. And it's for, for right now, it's taking a lot of my time. But soon I can hopefully get free of that and get on to this. But I appreciate uh, your giving me the exposure to talk here. There are those who say, Ray Stanford's nothing but a screwball nut contactee. Well, I hope if they hear what I said today, that they'll take me out of that shelf. (laughs) You can find us on Twitter if you look for The Paracast. Check The Paracast fan clubs on Facebook. And check out The Paracast Plus at plus, P-L-U-S dot, theparacast.com. We offer a commercial-free version of this show with better quality audio. We offer the After the Paracast podcast. Some show transcripts, special episodes, features from Paul Kimball's Other Side of Truth, both audio and video, with much more to come. The prices start at just $1.49 a week, $4.99 a month. $49.99 for the year. Check out plus P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com plus dot theparacast.com I think those who believed in some of these early contactees are going to have to think again after listening to this episode. Ray Stanford, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.